Before we start today's show, I want to take a second to introduce you to Katie Buchanan. Katie is today's guest, but she's also a singer-songwriter, and this is her new song, West. You can find Katie on Instagram at Katie Buchanan and West is available everywhere now. Now, on with the show. Hey there, I'm Stevie. I'm a musician from New York City and the host of This Next Song's About. This is a podcast for songwriters and music fans alike. In today's episode, we're taking a look inside the mind of a studio producer to help you get an idea of what you should expect when you're heading in to record. Today's guest is singer-songwriter and record producer Katie Buchanan. Katie studied music at NYU's Clive Davis Institute of Recorded Music. She works across all pop genres from singer-songwriter to electronic-inflected bops. But ultimately, she focuses on the artist and the songs. She's produced hundreds of tracks and garnered millions of plays but cares mostly about creating an open, collaborative, and comfortable studio environment. Katie has come up with her top five tips for artists to consider before heading into the studio. Now, this doesn't matter if you're a newbie in the studio or someone who's been recording music for a while. This is a great episode, and I hope it gets you thinking about your next project in a different way. I give you Katie Buchanan. Katie Buchanan, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. It's great to see you. It's great to finally meet you. I know. I feel like I've known your name for a long time and I've seen everything you've been doing. It's a pleasure to be here. I know. I've seen many things that you have produced. I've heard many things that you've produced and met many of the artists who've worked with you and all say very, very lovely things. Aw, it's nice to hear. Yeah. Kaylin loves you. Big, big fan. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, an amazing project to do. And I'm so excited for the rest of the world to hear the rest of it. It's, it's pretty awesome. Yes. So by the time this podcast airs, I think we will have done a live stream with Perfect. Caitlin. I didn't know when that was happening. No, it's okay. And we'll we'll be doing a video exclusive for At Work. Oh, awesome. So that will be next week. So you're telling me you've heard the whole record? No. <gasps> I have not heard the whole record. So that has been under lock and key. I'll see what I can do on that on that front. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, so let's um start with you I want to hear a little bit about you as a producer and also as a musician and so you are a producer you're working in New York City you're working with all of these exciting artists and -and up-and-coming people um and I want to hear about how you started as a musician and how that sort of led you into a producer role and you know also let's not forget you are a woman in the industry oh yeah you can't ever forget that sorry I know but like I I believe the number is like three percent Oh, that's that's up from the last statistic I heard. That's super encouraging. If it's oh, three wow. instead of two, yeah, it's not great out here. Yeah, no. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you're like you're like a unicorn. Um. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Equally gay. It's good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I started making records when I was a kid and didn't even know that's what I was doing. I just had like a tape deck and was like, well, I write songs, so I might as well record them and give them to people and annoy them with with me all of the time. I came from a really musical family. So, you know, they put a fiddle in my hand at three and they were like, this is what you do. So this is just always what I've done. 
um, went to school for production as sort of a artist producer thing. I went to the Clive Davis Institute, which is a very, again, a unicorn of a, of a situation where it's sort of like, okay, you want to make money making recorded music. How do you do that? There are a lot of ways you get to explore all of them. Um, it's sort of like a grad program as undergrad. Like you, you do like a thesis project and like, it's very self-directed. It's changed a bit since I was been there. I, I was like one of the guinea pig years. I was like the first five, six years. But um, so coming out of that, I had a ton of studio experience, but I was still mostly focused on being a musician, being an artist. I was producing my own work, but hadn't really done a ton of production for other people here and there. And it sort of became this thing where people would be like, oh, who, who produced your record? And I'm like, well, I did. That's what I do. And I was like, oh, oh, I'm also a producer. Oh you'll pay me for that. That's cool. <laughs> and um, as as my records were doing fairly well early in my career and things were looking up, I was like, well, I should, you know, I was getting a lot of requests to do records for people. Mm-hmm. And it kind of just started clicking. It was something that I was expecting to feel like a little bit more, oh, well, I'm not the artist. So I can't be so excited about this, but it's totally the opposite. I get to flex an entirely different creative muscle and getting to work with artists, getting to put out, you know, a hundred songs a year and getting to help their vision come to life is fantastic and awesome. And it's a completely different part of my creative brain. Mm -hmm. And it just sort of snowballed and became my main full-time job over the last four years. Um, I'm super lucky that like my wife's a creative and she also has a full-time other job because she writes books and those sell, but don't pay super well up front. But like my other job against being an artist is creating music for other people. And it's become equally rewarding and a career unto itself. And it's it's a really cool thing to get to just, I make noises for a living. Like it's really <laughs> fucking cool. Um, and I get to help a lot of a lot of artists figure out what they want to do and mm-hmm. figure out their own voices and figure out how they get to um, be heard, not just, you know, on their music, but within the studio and that they're really happy with, with what is coming out under their name. Yeah. I certainly have found that the producers that I've worked with who are also musicians and artists in their own right have a very different take than those who haven't. And like, they yeah. know what you're looking for or the doubts or the anxieties that you have when you're mm-hmm. in the studio. Yeah. It's super, it's super helpful. I have a very stringent open door policy on both sides of every record I make of like, hey, I know how to put a record out too. I know how difficult it is to be like, okay, well, I can't afford PR on this. So like, I guess I'm writing the bio myself and I have no one to ask about it. And I'm like, I actually know a lot about that. Can I help you? Can I, you know, I like Mm -hmm. being involved in a lot of the different steps of the process because I've done it on my own so many times. I've done it with a budget. I've done it without a budget. There's so many different ways to do it. And after you've given yourself so much creatively, like the worst part of a rec- making a record is like putting it out. You know, it's like, oh shit. Okay. So I did all of this. Can I curse on here? Is that okay? Yeah. Go for it. I do it all the time. <laughs> um, so like I spent all of this time, spent all of myself, put this out. Oh, I'm not done yet. That was the easy part. Now I have to do the hard part of putting it out into the world, you know? And you're just like, oh God. And so I try to make myself available to artists. Some want it, some don't. Some are like, peace, goodbye. I'll see you when I have some songs the next time. But I, I know how scary and lonely that process can be. And so having, you know, the only other person often that was in the room while you were making the songs help you sort of remember the things that you love about it is super helpful, mm-hmm. I find. 
Now I have to say, I've never worked with a female producer. You should do it. It's it's a lot better. I know. Well, <laughs> I've started to work with more women bands and musicians and whatnot, and it, it is a different yeah. energy. It's a very different energy. Yeah. I find, so I work with a lot of, you know, second records, I think is what I mostly do for people where they've made a first record, they've gone and gone to the studio, did the thing, found the producer, and they just, a lot of times don't feel heard. They don't feel like they got to do what they wanted to do, be it because the budget was really low and it was like, okay, we're, we're going to tape. We're good. Go. Or they just didn't feel like they had the room to speak in the room. And it's something that I really prioritize where if I'm in the room with someone, I know when something's wrong, like women's intuition is a thing. And I always sort of like, okay, turn it down. I'm like, do you need a second? Do you want to like talk about what's going on? Like, do you need some tea? Do you need the room? Do you need some whiskey? Like, what do you need? I'm here for you. Like, sometimes it gets me in trouble because then I'm like, oh, oh, we're talking about your divorce now. Oh, okay. That's not what I thought we were getting into. But I think that having that seventh, eighth, I don't know. I feel like we have more than five senses. Isn't that like a thing? It's a different mm-hmm, sense mm-hmm. of, <laughs> of knowing when something's up rather than just barreling through and making sure we hit the timeline. Right. It leads to a better product and it leads to happier people. And like, we're making music. We're not saving lives. Like you can take a second and just talk to people. Yeah. One-on-one. I think being able to express yourself, not in a musical sense, but in a oh, I have anxiety about this. I don't know what I'm doing yeah. here. Or mm-hmm. I'm not the, the drummer. I don't know what to do with that yeah. section. And that's okay, because that's my job. That's yeah. not your job. Well, exactly. <laughs> and that's what we're going to come on to. See, segue. Oh my God, this is beautiful. Oh, so good. So we're going to talk about top tips for the studio. So if you're heading into a studio, either for the first time, or even, you know, maybe you've been in once or twice, you've done a single or something like that, and you maybe have found the process a little bit overwhelming, here, we, we've kind of come together and thought of, well, actually, Casey, you did all the work. I'm just, I've just typed it up and put it on the front page there. So um, we've thought of a couple of top tips for, for people to think about as they're, as they're heading into the studio. So what, what kind of went through your mind when I suggested this to you? And, and what did you, what came up top of mind for you? Um, it was a lot of, oh my God, here's everything I'm stressed about with my clients right now. And then I moved <laughs> back from that. Um, there is... Music and particularly music industry and music production is incredibly insular. It's incredibly esoteric and it's incredibly guarded. And there are just all of these things that no one wants to talk about until you're already there. And you're like, well, how do you get there if you don't know how to get there? It's really, really difficult. It's even more difficult um, if you're not just like a dude. That's a huge other topic. Um, (laughs) But like it was a lot of what I spent a lot of my time like I said, working with, with young artists and new artists. And so a lot of my role is education and making sure that we're on the same page. And like, I feel like I was incredibly privileged to get to go to school for this and get to just sit in studios all day. And that's not an option for a lot of people. And so I try to make it an accessible situation where anything you have a question about, I am here to ask. I am here, excuse me, I'm here for you to ask. And I'm here to give you the answer to the best of my knowledge. But mostly the five tips was like, this is what I want people to know so that I can focus more on the music and less about, I'm here for you. <laughs> I'm not trying to screw you over. Mm-hmm. It's a hard situation for people to remember because music is so personal and it's so mm-hmm. open and honest. And the best music is like, you know, really, really, really intimate. And 
there is some information that I would like people to have before we get to that stage. So that stage can be attained more easily. And I think that for people that are working with producers that are perhaps not as interested in the education, these tips might help you get there a little bit easier on your own. All right. Thank you for that intro. So let's, let's dive into top tip number one, producer versus engineer. I get a lot of requests for very specific work of, I have this, I want you to do this. And I'm like, cool, this is what I cost. And they're like, well, how much does your studio cost? I'm like, I'm the studio. I'm the producer, non-engineer. They're different jobs. Producers Mm -hmm. usually engineer. Producing is very quickly a triple hyphenate thing. We're producing, we're engineering, we're mixing, we're doing everything. But the producer role itself is an, an artistic job. It is someone that is working with the artist, not just on the technical aspects of their music, but also about the song itself, the performance, the how do you feel as an artist? Where are we going with you as an artist? It's a very intimate role. You become their Mm -hmm. creative partner. I like to, you know, do full projects, but sometimes it's just a song and you have to sit down and be like, okay, so what are your goals? Where is the song? How do we get there? What do you like? Yep. engineers, um, which are sort of a rare breed as an engineer, but say like if you're going into a studio, it's different. That's a timed experiment. It's or a timed experience. You know, you bring your people in and you press record and you have an amazing technician. They're not, they'll tell you if something sounds good or sounds you know, a little weird, but their job isn't to write parts for you. It's not to even really get the right people mm-hmm. in the room. Um, it's a more of a transactional role. Get get the levels right. Get the levels right. Set up the drums. Set up the drums. And like, it's... That's a hard job. Yeah. Like, real true studio engineering is an art in of itself. It is sadly dying out in many ways. But um, it's very different than what a producer does. Um, I am here to give you feedback and to give you input. That's what you're charging me for. I'm more expensive than going into the studio for the day. You know, I... Mm-hmm not to get into budget yet, but like, I don't like looking at the clock. I'm here to create the best music that we can make, no matter how long it takes. And part of that is because I'm a creative partner. And if you're going to come in without being open to that process, it impedes me from doing my job. You know, like you bring in a song and we, we make it better. We are working together. Mm -hmm. I'm not working for you. We're working together. A studio is a space rather than an act. Ooh, that's deep. That was, <laughs> I don't know that it actually was, but I said it as though it was, so <laughs> let's roll with it. Um, you know, like, I think that everyone comes at, they, they moved to New York, right? So we're, we're both in New York. Mm-hmm. We moved to New York. And they're like, I'm going to go and sing in that $20,000 mic and, and everyone's going to love it. And it's like, that's not what happens anymore, right? Like, we make records in closets and bedrooms. And the reason that that works is because producers have to do a lot of things, but also they can do a lot of things. And you don't need mm-hmm. to go into a studio and hire a producer that's going to sit there and tell you that was loud enough to do that. Do you think some people have, still have this outdated idea of a studio? I think certainly when you're not a musician in terms of you know people writing a record in the studio. Oh, yeah, it's super outdated. I mean, do those studios exist? Yes. Do you want to pay for them? No. They're very expensive. I mean, like, you've got to be super high-end to just go, yep, so we went into the studio and we wrote this album, and I'm like, what was your budget? Yeah, I mean, especially in New York, like, there's, like, there's like seven big studios. I th- Yeah, I think that people, 
people come in and they don't really want feedback. They don't want someone to produce things for them, which I guess gets into it. Like I think point two or three about like, what does a producer do? But I think to go into being, mm. to go in and hire a producer means you're going to be doing more than just hiring me to put a drum track behind what you're doing and to do exactly what you do. It's a creative partnership. And, and I've had a lot of experiences of people being like, taken aback that I recommended maybe going to a different chord there. And I'm like, oh, 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 okay. This is not what you're, oh, okay. You're just going to mm-hmm. overpay for engineering here. That's, that's cool. Um, and, you know, the thing is, there are some people that do have a band and they just want to go in and make a record in a studio. And that's great. But it is a different experience than having a producer and having proper production on a record. And I think ultimately is not likely to get you where you're trying to get with a record. Mm. Okay. Well, let's move on to point number two, because that that nicely segues us in, in terms of roles and responsibilities. And I think what we mean by that is like your role as an artist versus the role as a producer. Yes. So how do those two, you know, come together? What do I have to think about when I'm coming in? What do I have to do when I'm coming in as an artist? And what do you have to do yeah. as the producer? What are your responsibilities? So point number one is if you're coming into the studio and you haven't spoken to your producer, that's a big red flag. <laughs> um, there is a, something called pre-production that's super important. And that's when you can really figure out your workflow, figure out your vibe with your producer. Um, some people get really uh, concerned about, well, I want this to happen here. And I want this to happen here. Like you said, like I want the drum track to happen here. It's like, that's my job. If you have those ideas, awesome. Let's talk about them. But what I need from you is a song, an open mind, references if you have them, a general vibe for like what you're looking for here. Do you want something really close and dry? Do you want something that's like huge and washed out and an anthemic? I can do all those things, but we need to talk about it rather than you um, feeling like you have to make all those decisions on your own. Um, I know I keep saying like partnership, but it's, it's, Hard not to, because I think that that is the inherent role of the producer is for I'm here to listen to what you have to say and translate that into a record. Yes. So it's about good communication, I think, is what I'm hearing from that. Funny, because I sort of I was thinking about something about a relationship in a way. Yeah. The need for good communication, because otherwise you're not going to get what you want and you can take that wherever you want to go with it. But yes, that was sort of what I was thinking of. Like, you need to have the confidence to be able to say, okay, well, this is what I want and just relax because I think you know as an artist you can go in and you're so terrified of one here's here's a thing that I wrote here's a thing about yeah. me that I wrote terrifying yeah and you know it's having the courage to be vulnerable and also trusting you know somebody else that they're not gonna like shit all over the thing that you've here's the thing that I made I made you a thing <laughs> you know yeah um if you're working with anyone that's even slightly good at their job they're never gonna shit on it they're never going to, and if they are, fire them. Of course. Like, even if I don't totally love what I'm working on, I always find things to love about the process. And I always put myself in the artist's shoes of like, okay, so I don't totally get this, but you do. And my job is to figure out that, why you get this. Like, there's some of the best songs mm-hmm. I've produced have been songs that I was like, I got 12 demos and that was not the one I wanted to do, but you really wanted to do it. And it's been some of my best work. And it's like, I think it's sort of part of the like humility of, I think female producers often are like, Oh, well maybe Mm -hmm. I'm wrong. (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I think it kind of boils down to, I can't help you if you mm-hmm. don't tell me what's wrong. You shouldn't, you don't need to have all of the answers and all of the, the ideas. That's what I'm here for. I'm really good at, at discerning what you want, but you also still have to tell me. You know, I've had mixes where I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, so something's wrong. They're like, I don't know what it is. I'm like, okay, can you give me like any words? Just like any words. And they'll be like blue. And I'm like, I got you. I can do that. And it it works. But it's it's that thing of, I do think that producers slap, you know, versus a, a relationship, there's more a monetary transaction. So I think there's a little bit more like you can expect me to do a little bit more of the work. Um. So you don't have to come in fully formed. I have this theory that to have a really good personal relationship, you need to come in at least knowing what you want and who you are, right? I don't know that that's true for the record world. I don't know that that's true for production. I think that that's sort of a problematic way to look at it that invites a lot more anxiety to an already anxiety-prone population. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. Let's Let's maybe like take an example of like I come into... Thinking about doing a single versus an album, someone would come in. They'd say, "Here's my song. Let's do a let's do a run through or a demo, and I'll play." Like you do a demo track. So how would you get from like demo to like master? Okay. So point number one, um, I really hate doing just singles for people. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of come from a very old school approach of of songs should talk to each other, and I you know I grew up playing like blues by the campfire, so like I'm very holistic in the way that I approach music. Mm-hmm. So even though I work in a very modern setting I would always rather do two songs with someone than one even if that means that the budget's the same because both songs are going to be better at the at the end of the day and you're more relaxed but what happens is like say we're doing an EP sort of the middle ground right so I ask for your demos of what are you most excited about that you're working on doesn't have to be done uh doesn't have to be you know exactly I like it when they're not completely perfect already sing them into your phone don't make me produce demos can I'd rather not um just sing them into your phone and send me the songs that you're most excited about and then we'll have a chat we go back and forth and we sort of figure out okay so what are your references what are your goals um where are the songs does do these songs need more time are you open to doing some rewriting for these um because sometimes the songs are what they are and like you're saying like I wrote this song right I'm presenting this to you and if I'm like I really like this but I think to get to where you want it to go, you're going to have to do some rewriting. Is that something you're open to? And if the answer is no, cool. We go to a different song. I never want people to dismantle what they're working on if they're not willing to do it because it's never good for anyone. But ideally, we have some songs that are a little bit malleable and we take them to uh, the first day of recording. So I work like a lot of people do. I have my own space. I do almost all the tracking here. So the space, it's a little bit bigger, but not that much bigger. It's still New York. And, um, and uh, I like to play through all of the songs together. I'm a guitarist primarily, but if you have a guitar, you come in and we just work through them a couple of times and play them in the room because there's nothing worse than being like completely cold and then just like going to tape it's bad for everyone. Like no matter how many times you've been in the studio, it doesn't go well. So I like to work through all the songs. I have all the lists. Uh, I go through all the songs, have all the lyrics in front of me. And I'm someone that's like, okay, so that lyric might need a little massaging. We're not going to like get hung up on that. We're just going to make something really cool here. Um, I like to get the first round out together, which means it's like 
Okay, so you'll play the guitar, I'll play the guitar. It matters kind of how um how you want to approach the guitar line, you know, it's different for everyone. And then I like to rough out the entire track with the person in the room. This is all pre-COVID. People don't get in rooms together anymore. But I like to get a really good sense of sort of the color of the record together. And then after, you know, say we're doing four songs, that's two or three days of pre-production together, which we'd already done a little bit before. And we work through the songs together, make sure that the drums are sort of doing what you want them to do. The bass is sort of doing what you want them to do. Sometimes those tracks are basically done at the end of those days. Sometimes they're not. Um, sometimes I need to sit and search for a snare drum for five hours. Do you want to watch me do that? That seems like a really boring thing to have to do. Um, but I like to have that whole initial process happen either with someone or very closely over Zoom if it's remote now. And then once we get it to a slightly nicer place, I will have you do vocals. I really like producing vocals. It's It's been horrible not being able to do that with people this year. Um, but I do think that it's created a lot of really amazing, amazing, one, it's it's given a lot of people more skills that they've just had to develop. And I'm someone that I like to record vocals in my own space without 15 people looking on through a glass at you with the intern coming in with coffee and for some reason giving you his opinion on the vocal take, which is the thing that happens and you're like, eh. you know, I, if I didn't have to be in the room sometimes I wouldn't be. And so we've got this like great thing going on where you just get to be vulnerable with your own song. And if you need to sing one note 87 times in the row, you can do that without feeling like you're inconveniencing anyone else. Cause no matter how good your connection is with the producer, eventually you're just kind of like, well, that was, that was 97 takes in a row. I don't feel great about myself, but getting back to getting the vocals in. And then I like to do another passive production together or as close together as possible, because I find that the way that I produce is incredibly reactive to vocals because I am a songwriter. And most of the people that I work with are also, you know, really singer songwriters at their core, rather than just like I top line, I have a track. They're, the best example of the song is me in a room. So how do we capture that on a record while also kind of bringing it to the next level of, well, this could be on the radio now. So I like to save a lot of the in flourishes, not only from a technical standpoint, but also from a like, oh my God, wait, that vocal take was really good where you just kind of like fell apart at the end. Let's make the track fall apart there too. So I like having the flexibility of, okay, the track informs the vocal, the vocal informs the track. And now we bring it all together. And then we go into mixing, which is um, an interesting thing for everyone. Um, it's people get really, really concerned in the mixing stage because it starts to become finalized, right? So part of it is super exciting. Part of it is, oh my God, I can hear it as a record. And part of it is, oh, I have to say yes or no now. And that can become really scary for people. So the way I usually deal with that is I'll do a technical pass of the mix just on my own. And I'll be like, okay, so like the low end is doing what it needs to do. The top end's not too bright. Everything's doing what it needs to do. This is what I think is sort of the baseline, how the record should happen. 
let me send it to you and give me your th- top three things that are annoying you about this mix. Like, what are your three priorities? Don't give me a laundry list. What are your three things? Because if I have to fix those three things, other things will get fixed at the same time. Two, it makes you really consider, are you being a little annoyed with that tambourine or are you not? Is it actually fine? Um, and three, it 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 makes the process, it makes you not overthink the process. If you only have three things, you're like, okay, so these are my priorities. And if we have to do another round, we do another round. It's never like, this is the last time you're allowed to make changes. But keeping things to three or four things, people always go over. It's fine. Um, helps a lot with getting the, pro- getting the track where it needs to go a little bit quicker than if you were trying to do my job for me, which a lot of people do. They're like, well, this vocal, the high mids on this vocal should come down. I'm like, you're right. But like, can you tell me why you feel that way rather than just what you Googled for that? Interesting. I really like that suggestion or that technique of your top three things for mixing. I've not come across that before. No one's, no one's done that with me. It's, I got it from a friend of mine who um, works in very similar field and it, it saves so much time and stress. Like there are times when I've had people, one, I don't send out tracking mixes until they're pretty much done. And I'm like, don't send me mix notes on this. It's not mixed. But I've had people come in in tears because they think the track is bad when all I needed to do was like turn down a snare drum. And I'm just like, I can fix it. That's my job. But making people think about what their priorities are and giving them like a list. It's almost like you're, it's almost like children where you're like, you give them boundaries and it works just a little bit. Better. <laughs> I heard. I, I don't have kids, but it, it helps me focus on like, okay, I know what your priorities are, but also it doesn't mean that I have to make 18 different ideas work. I just have to make three ideas work and everything else can move around those three ideas because mixing is, inherently reactive if you want the vocal louder something else probably has to come down in order to make the vocal louder i can't just make it louder you can't have everything loud at the same time yeah there's a technical aspect to mixing that i think is something that you're always like i was talking to a mentor of mine bob power who's an amazing dude like yeah yeah so i was talking to bob and i was like i think i'm really starting to figure out mixing he's like i think i'm really starting to figure out mixing this man has grammys for mixing he's mixed millions and millions of plates like legendary dude taught me how to mix so it's sort of like it's this very technical thing that you can never really understand but it's also a musical artistic thing that you have to translate with the artist so having it distilled down to three these three things it helps a lot Mm. and it helps keep anxieties down kind of across the board Mm, that's interesting let's come on to point number three yes oh and then it gets mastered oh sorry it's fine should we go back to mastering um, it gets mastered. If you can afford mastering with someone else, it's probably going to be better, but that's not always a thing that people can afford. And also with the Spotify algorithm, everything kind of sounds the same as long as you get it good enough. So don't freak out if you can't afford big time mastering, but you have to get stuff mastered. It has to be mastered. Don't release your stuff without it being mastered. No, not good. Not good. Okay. okay. Let's go on to point number three, the awkward budget talk. Now money, oh it's God. like, Money is like the sex talk. Everything's awkward about it. Oh, it's so awkward. I have clients that I've worked with forever and it's still just like, well, how much? Okay. So I have rates 
every producer has rates. If they don't, don't work with them. Um, I always start every budget conversation with what is your budget? Do you have a budget? Do you have a number in mind? May I ask, when do you introduce that yeah. talk? Um, it sort of matters how the initial intro came about. If you're coming to mm-hmm. me, it usually happens a little bit sooner. Back in the good old days of getting to meet people for coffee, I usually tried to do it in person rather than beforehand. It's sort of a, it's a really awkward thing for us too of like, okay, well, I don't want to scare you away because I really like what you're doing. But like, if you really can't afford me, I probably can't work with you, right? So I always try to start with what is your budget on this? Usually third or fourth email in, you know, as soon as specifics start getting in there, I'm like, okay, so what's your budget for this? Um, The worst thing you can do in that situation is to say, I don't know, and have them quote you back and then say, no, that's not my budget. Don't tell me my budget's wrong, right? If you have a budget, tell me what that budget is and I will tell you what I can do for that budget. If you are genuinely here for like, well, I don't know what the budget is, that's fine. I'll tell you what my budget is. I'll tell you, um, you know, where I can cut corners, where I can, you know, figure out mm-hmm. how to help you. I was like, okay, so you don't really have the budget for mastering. We'll figure that out. Um, you know, if you can cut one song it's kind of my go-to of you know if you have a project cut a song it's better to cut a song than have five songs produced poorly versus four songs produced well um but yeah if you have a budget of mine tell your person what it is um we can't do anything with that otherwise um i've i've had people recently um tell me my budget is not only wrong but well, this person only charged me this much, but I don't want to work with them anymore. And I'm like, so why aren't, why did you come to me? I might, I might be a little bit different, but broadly speaking, people are going to try to work with you if you're open about what you can do. It's a really bad start to a project by really trying to undersell someone or undercut someone without understanding what it would take for us to meet your budget. It creates a slightly antagonistic situation where I feel undervalued as a producer. Mm-hmm. and it's not a good way to start things off but most of us are also in your boat too like we're all working artists we understand that times are tough like we're in the middle of a fucking plague like we know that it's hard so I'm always here to meet people as close to halfway as I can and I think most producers are like that as well like some people have fixed cost I have a little bit of wiggle room most of us have a little bit of wiggle room. But yeah, just know that it's awkward for the producer too. And that's okay. It's, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know if I gave you any any insight as to like how to deal with that as an artist. I'm realizing this is this is a little bit more of like, just give me your money. Um, and that's not at all where I wanted to take it. I think, no, I think you made some, you've made a good point there. You said, look, let's like have that conversation early is what I heard. Yes. And be yes. open about what you can do and what you're looking to do. So Yeah. And like, I'm not here to overextend anyone. Like, I don't want you to take out a loan to work with Mm -hmm. me. Like everyone's monetary situation is very different, especially in music. Like there's that unspoken thing of a lot of people that are making music right now have their dad and mother's checkbook. Like that's a thing. And knowing that and recognizing that is also good because most 
producers, most working professionals sort of have a roster of people that are doing that, that can kind of offset the other people. So if you're honest about where you're at and you're honest about what you're doing, and if you're chill about the process, if you're a good hang, that's going to get you in the room way quicker than a checkbook half the time. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's worth giving ballparks, not necessarily for you, but what people could expect to do a single for what people could expect to do an EP of like three to five songs and then a full album, just that people kind of have an idea of that. Yeah. You're looking for a single, you're looking in the $2,000 range, at least most people work kind of by the track or if you're doing an album, their album rate might be a little bit lower than that. Their EP rate might be a little bit lower than that. So like I can usually, if we're doing five songs together, I might not charge you per song. Exactly. I'd give you like sort of a discounted bulk rate. It's different for everyone. There's a lot of ways to sort of offset upfront costs with things like royalties, which I think we're getting to in a second, if I recall my own list. And there's things like, you know, extending the timeline is a very easy way to sort of cut budgets of like, if you're like, if you need it next week, it's going to be more expensive than if you need it in four months from now. Um, but yeah, I think that's a general ballpark. Some people are a lot less usually there's a reason if it's a lot less. If it's someone that you don't know well or you don't have a standing relationship with or people that you don't know around you um, have a good relationship with, if it's a lot less, there's usually a catch. Good points. Thank you for being transparent about that. Because I think, you know, some people are like, oh, how much, you know, should I expect to spend? And It's yeah. going to be more than you think, but I think you get a lot more than you think you're going to get from the process. So you mentioned royalties there. So let's come on to tip number four about royalties. Royalties are a thing still. Um, as I mentioned earlier, mm. producers um, are also doing a lot of technical work now. A long time ago, producers from on labels would just get royalty points and that would be their that would be their payment. That is not the case anymore because it's not the case. There's not a whole lot of, you know, guaranteed royalty payments. But I always think of the fee that I get paid is for the technical parts of my job. And the royalty is for the creative parts of my job. If you have a song that I helped make that would not have existed without me and it blows up and you make a lot of money off of it, I'm sort of entitled to a little bit of that money. That credit. Credit. It's not just credit, though. So I'm, credit is you have to credit people. That's like a whole other conversation that I'm realizing mm. should have been a point. So generally speaking, producers get royalties. They get a share of master and they get a share of publishing. Often that's a recoupable fee. So you're not going to be paying anyone money until you make money unless your fee is in, unless your budget is incredibly low. That's a way to make up for budget is is okay. So it's really low, but as soon as you start making any money, I'm going to get a cut of that. But usually speaking, it's like once you make back your budget, you're going to be making money. And because I helped you create something, I helped you write parts of this. I am an author in this project. You're almost another musician in this project, effectively. I am. I mean, in most situations, I'm playing a lot of the things on the record. Think about it in terms of if you look at like really pop track oriented music, the person that makes the track is the other writer on it and then someone top lines to it. And in many ways, just because I'm doing that after you wrote the initial song, I'm still doing all of the mm -hmm. same work and often more than that because I'm sort of melding the two things together. But it's a normal thing just because someone's asking for a royalty does not mean that they're trying to screw you over um i think that people like you said before people like they bring you this thing and they love it and it's very important mm -hmm. and it's it's uh it's sacred i'm here to make that thing better but also have the value and make it something that you can make money off of and that's sort of 
You're making it sellable. Yeah, I'm making it sellable. You're marketable. Marketable. And and I think that that's the, there is that thing where people get very, I don't want to make, I don't want to say that I want to make money with my music, but like you do because you want to keep doing it. And in some ways, if you want to keep doing it, you kind of have to make some money. It's still a job. Having to divorce those two things is difficult for a lot of people, but it's, it's sort of an important step to get through and to understand that you can have creative value in what you're doing while also wanting to make money from it. And I think that's part of why royalties get super touchy Mm. to people. I mean, musicians these days have to have to recognize that music is a business. It is the music business. Mm -hmm. And if you are going to succeed in that, you need to treat yourself as the product and the business. Correct. Yeah, and royalties are a part of that. Like, this, yeah, it is and, a part it, of it, the if you're the business, I am creatively investing in your business. So that's a normal thing. Don't get scared if people bring up royalties. Is kind of the bullet, the the stab of that bullet point. Point number five: shopping around. What do we mean by that, Casey? Not every fact, not every fit is the right one. I do a lot of second records, mm-hmm. which I think I mentioned. And a lot of people feel really guilty about not wanting to work with someone or wanting to work with someone new. Sometimes you find a producer that you just click with and that's what you do. You know, you're that producer for a long time. But if you're not feeling heard, if you're not feeling like you're getting creatively pushed, but also creatively supported, maybe talk to more people. Um, There's no shame in if you have a record that you want to get made there's no shame in asking multiple people for their opinions on the record and seeing what would you do with this record? You know, especially if you're working on anything long form, meet for coffee, hop on a Zoom and ask them how they feel about it. See if the vibe is right. Production is not just a technical thing, like I keep saying. It's also just about enjoying the creative space with another person. If you don't enjoy it, it's probably not Mm going to be a a great record. It could be a good record, but it's probably not going to be a great record. And there are sort of, there's not like a list of red flags, but like, if you don't feel like you're getting what you want out of, out Mm -hmm. of the creative relationship and you've given it your best shot, meaning like you've actually had the conversations, you've put yourself out there and you've, you've tried to make it work, walk away. You can walk away. Um, That's okay. It's your name. It's not the producer's name. That's on the record you should feel happy with what you're putting out, especially if you're not signed yet. Mm -hmm. This might be one of the only times you actually get to control that. Right. And be in full control of the process. Correct. And it's like, you should look for a partner that you want in that process that is making you better. And that is pushing you in the right ways. And also like, you don't, you can also have those conversations with your producer of like, I'm going to go work with someone else for this project. We might come back. It's not, it doesn't always have to be this acrimonious breakup thing that uh, tends to happen, I think. Okay. Um, and that's important. And it is about a vibe. It's about, you know, you, you know, perhaps, you know, you have a strength that someone else doesn't have that you want for this particular single or record or whatever it is. And the next time you're looking for more of an acoustic vibe and you know that, like, you've heard records from so-and-so and that's the kind of sound that you want to go for. And there's no yeah. shame in that. There's just... Yeah, yeah. And, like, Look up what your producer that you're talking to has done. You know, like it's Google is here. You can find everything that they've ever mm-hmm. done fairly easily. It's good to have like a scope of 
what that producer has done beforehand and, and how that might intersect with what you're doing. It doesn't always have to be the same thing of like, well, I love what you did with this record. So make me this, like, it, it's going to be different, but I think it's important to come into that conversation initially with like, okay, I really like what you did with this person. How do you see that relating mm-hmm. to what I'm doing? I love it. Well, Katie, those are five very top tips, if you will, um, for working in the studio. I think it's funny mm-hmm. as we were about to, um, speak this evening, I, I saw about three different things that were about production on my feed and I'm like, someone's hmm. listening to me. They're always listening. <laughs> yes, they are. And yeah, listening. it was on Instagram and it was people sharing different things in a, in a producer studio and stuff. And perhaps another thing for, for next season might be to think about, what was that thing that I, it was, I shared with you? And it was a producer who was in the studio talking about, you know, thinking about different elements to add in. So it's, it's somewhat more on the, the technical side. Yes. The technical side. So we can get into that perhaps another time. Yes, I love nerding out and it's it's a problem. Very, very granular, very quickly. Katie Buchanan, it's been such a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you so much. And when is uh, your new single coming out? Is it is it out west or is it just west? I forgot. It's just west. It's just called West. My wife is from LA, well-ish LA, between LA and San Diego. And so as COVID was unfurling initially here, we went and stayed with her parents up in the hills in Southern California. So we sort of had that, like, we'd always talk about, let's leave New York, let's go. Uh, we got our we got our California out of us, but um, so yeah, I'm a New York girl that fell in love with a Cali girl, and now I write songs about it. That should be out in the spring. Uh, we're looking at March something. March, let's say let's say like March nineteenth. Yes, it's out March nineteenth. There we go. Oh, okay. So I'm I haven't decided when this is coming out yet, but it, it may be after that. So this will probably be out now. It's out now. Go yeah. check out West. West is out <laughs> now. Well, Casey, thank you so much for being uh, in the producer's chair. As this is this is now the new feature, the producer's chair or producer's perspective. You can help me with this. Is it producer? Oh, I like that. I like the alliteration perspective. Cool. I like that too. Katie Buchanan, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Katie Buchanan and her top tips for heading into the studio. So to summarize, that is number one: know the difference between a producer and an engineer. Number two: know your roles and responsibilities and those of the producer. Number three. Have the budget talk early. Super important. You need to, you really need to do that. Number four, royalties. Have that chat up front too. And number five, figure out the right producer for you. It's not always going to be a fit. And it doesn't have to be. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed that episode. So grateful to Katie for coming onto the show. And I hope you got something out of it too. Next week on the show, we're going to talk about handling rejection, sticking to your goals, and maintaining your self-belief. I have a wonderful artist guest in next week called Lisa McEwen, and we're going to dive deep. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I'm Stevie Manns. I'll see you next time.